Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Thank you, Dave. It's great to be back at Hills Church. Hills Church is one of those places where when I walk in the door, I am home. And I hope that you had that experience as well. I want to add my thanks for those of you fathers who are here. I think there are special gifts in heaven, uh, not not only just for what you're going to get afterwards, but for fathers who come to church on Father's Day instead of the lake. You've got plenty of time to go to the lake. Thanks for being here at church on Father's Day. Hey, one of the things I want to talk to you about is we've got some uh, a folk a guy out in the lobby. His name is Zach. Zach is a good-looking dude. Now, ladies, they tell me he's already got a girlfriend, but he's a, it's not done until there's a ring on it. So he's a good-looking guy. He's out in the lobby, and uh, he's got some Jessup materials. If you're interested in on-ground or online classes, undergrad or grad, uh, certificates or degrees, we've got all that information out there. We'd love to share that with you. But today I want to talk to you about some famous stories. I think every generation and every family, every individual probably has some stories uh, in their life. So I want to just start with this. If, if you're over 50, did, uh, did you ever hear while you were growing up about uh, folks in the previous generation who walked uh, five miles to school? Uphill, in the snow, and it was uphill both ways, right? You heard about this, right? Like that is a story that shaped a generation. If you are 20 to 50, I'll bet you've heard some stories about um, when computers first came on the scene or, or maybe the first emergence of video games. Everybody heard, anybody heard about the game Pong that did not include paddles, but it was on a video screen? That was a video game back then. Uh, if you're under 20, I'll bet somebody somewhere has told you the story about where they were when 9-11 happened. That was an event that shaped a generation in the same way that Pearl Harbor shaped uh, a previous generation. Well, I think stories are real important, and today we're going to look at some really important stories in the Bible, focusing on one in particular. But before we do, I wanted to give you an introduction to the story of the Bible as a whole. I don't know if you're like this, but sometimes before I learn a specific thing, I want to know kind of where the grand narrative is. So I want to give you that. We're going to put it up on the screen overhead. And before we do that, let me just share. A.W. Tozer said this, whatever comes into our minds when we think about God is the single most important thing in life. And I suspect what you think about God has been shaped by a story. So look up here on the screen. The Bible story can be summarized in four parts. Just kind of a story arc. You start at creation. You move to fall. God created us perfect in creation. Then Adam and Eve, our forebears, chose to separate themselves from God. They chose to disobey, and there was this fall. They went from perfect relationship with God and each other to imperfect reality. And we lived in that mess for a long time, and then God made it possible for redemption to happen. Now, real quick, redemption, what does that mean? That means buying back. It means paying a ransom. It means taking that which is broken and restoring back together. So redemption and restoration. Now here's the clue, and I put up there on screen. The reality is that everyone in the human experience has participated in the creation and the fall. We're part of a world that was created by God, and we're part of a world that's messed up. That's just the reality. Everyone on planet Earth participates in that. So whether you're here in this room or watching online, we're all part of that. But then you have a choice. You have a choice on whether you want to be part of God's story of redemption and restoration. And we're going to unpack a little bit of that today, and I'm going to do that by just telling you this. The Bible teaches in the story that God has some real clear things about him that he needs you to know about him. Number one, God is holy. That means he's perfect. He's perfect in everything he is and everything he does. Number two, God is loving. 
God is a loving, perfect God. And then number three, God is a redeemer. And for the last several months, maybe the last year or two, it's been real heavy on my heart that a lot of us, I don't think, really understand the redemptive heart of God. We don't know what that means, that God wants to restore what has been lost. He wants to remake that which has been broken. He wants to restore in relationship. God is a redeemer and a restorer. That's at the fundamental heart of God. So I want you to take a Bible and turn to Luke 15 or your Bible app. We're going to park there for a while. And uh, a lot of you know the stories that I'm going to tell, but you do not know the context of the story. There's three famous stories in Luke chapter 15. The first story is about a lost coin. So I want you to imagine this for just a moment. You got a really important thing. Maybe it's a ring. Maybe it's a, it's a book. Maybe it's a slip of paper. Something that's super important to you and have a safe place for it, but you misplace it. When you misplace something that's valuable to you, literally you will stop time and you will search everywhere. Maybe it's for your keys, by the way, or your cell phone. That's a common thing. You misplace it and you go like, I gotta find this. Time stops until you find that lost thing. Second story in Luke chapter 15 is the story of a lost sheep. 99 sheep are safe, but one sheep goes out of the fold. Jesus tells the story that the shepherd goes after the lost sheep. And that tells us the heart of God to reach those people who are lost. Third one is a common one that you know about. It's called the prodigal son story, but it's essentially a lost son. Before we get that, I really believe this. A lot of times when stories in the Bible are familiar, we remember the story, but we don't remember the context. So I want to give you the context. Let's go to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. We'll put it on the screen with you. It says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's the context of the three stories that Jesus tells about finding lost things. Well, I want to point out just two things before we get into the prodigal son story. Number one, this is what we try to do every week at Hills Church. Jesus gathered a crowd of sinners. So if you would turn to the person next to you and say, I think he's talking about you. And then very nicely turn back and say, no, he's really talking about me, okay? So Jesus gathered a crowd of sinners. Now that's kind of interesting, but the second one is this, is that when sinners gather around uh, Jesus, religious people mutter. It's always been fascinating to me that religious people although they like the message of Jesus, often reject the means and the method of Jesus. If you read the gospel stories, Jesus spends a lot of time with broken people. He spends a lot of time with people whose lives are not up on the higher shelf. They're folks who are living in the reality of the everyday. And it's in that context that Jesus tells these stories. Now quickly, some of you know the background, but I'll give you the background. There's a story about a father who has two sons. In Jewish culture at the time, the inheritance law went like this. And we have laws in the United States and in California, but the inheritance law for Jewish people went this way. If you're the firstborn son and your father dies and you have other relatives, the firstborn son gets 60%. 60% of the inheritance. That was the law. Now, if you have a secondborn child, they would get roughly the remainder, about 40%. Well, in this particular story that Jesus tells, the second-born child, the youngest son, is kind of ticked. He's unhappy that he's the second kid. He's unhappy that he's not getting all the, 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 the light and the, the noise and attention that the oldest one is getting. So here's what he said. Hey, pops, I would really like to have my 40% now. 
I got places to go, things to see, people to be with, and I need my 40% now. Now, folks, this was scandalous. This is really the second son saying this. Hey, Dad, I can't really wait for you to die. Could you get my money to me now? I mean, that's a, that's a hard message, right, on Father's Day? But there's a reason I'm sharing this with you, okay? So what happens is the dad arranges his affairs and gets the 40% to the son. Now, you kind of probably know the story. What happens is the secondborn gets his 40%, and he goes off, and he parties hardy. He has this experience in life where he's got all kinds of stuff, and here's what he learns. As long as he has money, he has lots of friends. Lots of money, lots of friends. But guess what? Eventually, the money runs out. And when the money runs out, guess what happens? He's got no friends. No money, no friends. And this nice Jewish boy in the story that Jesus tells ends up no, with no friends and no way to feed himself. So this nice Jewish boy goes to work at a pig farm. And he's slopping the pigs and eating the pig food, decidedly non-kosher. And at that moment in time, something happens. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 15. Start at verse 17. We're going to read a number of verses. Talking about the prodigal son, it says this. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, I, I not only think that people lose the context of familiar Bible stories, I think sometimes we gloss over the details. So if you don't mind, I tried to read the story this week with some really fresh eyes, and I wrote down a list of details. Now, how many of you in this room would say, or watching online, go ahead and do this as audience participation, even if you're online. How many of you would say, I, I, I kind of basically know the story of the prodigal son. How many of you would say that? You know the story of the prodigal son? Okay, a good number of you. Well, for those of you who do, and even if you don't, let me just walk through the story and tell you a few things. First of all, uh, the son was a son. Now, I know that's kind of like basic level, but the fact that he was a son means that he knew who he was. In fact, he knew who he was enough to demand his inheritance. So he was a son, and he knew who he was. I think you guys have been studying through Ephesians, right? And in Ephesians, it teaches you how important your identity is in Christ. So the son was a son. Number two, the son came to his senses. See, after he went and spent all his money, lost all his money and his friends, and he ended up being in that pig pen with pig slop all over him, he had a moment of clarity, a moment of revelation. Now, folks, I, I do not know you. I, I do not know your story. I don't know the background or context, and I don't know if I'm saying this for you or if somebody in your life, but here's what I'm going to say to you. When you know that you are a son, you know that God loves you, but you have made a mess of your life, 
You have made wrong choices, gone in wrong directions. You've ended up doing some things that have ended you up in the pig pen of life, whether it's a real one or metaphorical one. There's a moment when you come to your senses, a moment of clarity, a moment of revelation, a moment where you say, why am I in this circumstance when I came from this place? The third thing is, the son recognized the reality of his circumstances and he determined to move from being a son to being a slave. This is super important. This kid knew that he was a son of the father. But when he destroyed his life and squandered the inheritance and messed up his future, there was a moment in the pig pen where he made a conscious decision. I can no longer be a son. I forfeited that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to my dad and beg him to let me not be a son anymore because I've blown that, but let me at least be a hired servant, a slave, so that I could at least have a roof over my head, some warm clothes, and some food to eat that's kosher. Okay? So there's a reality of that being a conscious choice. And I'm going to say this, somebody in this room, you or somebody in your family that you love and care for, or somebody watching online, you have made the conscious choice. You know who you are. But you have made the conscious choice to move from who you are to who you think you've become. And now that you made that conscious choice, because the decisions you made and the stuff that's happened to you, you see yourself no longer as a son, but as a servant or as a slave. The reality is that many of us, while never imagining ourselves to be slaves or orphans, we behave and believe that way. Some of you, that's been your identity for a long time. Somebody in this room is saying, I, I can't believe I'm even in church on a Father's Day. And this guy's getting kind of intense, and does he not know what we have planned after service? Folks, I am a trained professional. I will get you out on time. But I want you to know this that some of us have gotten to the place where we have accepted this new identity, we've accepted this thing where we're no longer a son, but we see ourselves as an orphan or a slave. Now, let me tell you, you keep going, I'll go long. Okay, here's the reality, is the high point of the whole story that most of us remember is this, is that when the son, who's decided to become a slave, heads towards home, his father sees him while he's a long way off and his father runs to him. Now, folks, I got to say a couple things about that. First of all, do you know when that son who had been a prodigal, who had, who had been lost, who left away, who's in the pig pen with slop all over him, do you know that when he came home, what happened to him? You, you wouldn't have a reason to know this, but he probably had to walk through town. He probably had to walk through a bunch of people's houses. And I want you to know, when that son was walking through town, through a bunch of people's houses, with pig slop all over him, smelly and stinky and having destroyed his life, that one of the reasons the father ran to him is to make sure that he didn't have the shame of walking alone through that town. Now to make one more observation, and please catch this. Fathers run to sons and not to slaves. Some of you are at the point right now where you're going like, look, man, my life is so in this place. It's so in the slave, servant, pig pen, destroyed, fragmented life that the best I have to hope for is that maybe God will let me in on the outskirts. Maybe God would somehow, some way, let me be a servant. 
And what this story tells you is that the very heart of God is to redeem, to fix the broken, to make the broken whole again, to take creation and fall and bring it to redemption and restoration. He wants to do that for us and he wants us to do that for each other. And then I love that the Father gives celebration, not condemnation. When sons and daughters are restored, that's a cause for celebration. Man, God is a God who wants to jump up and down and say, this is the best day. This is the greatest day. Yes, there's messes all over, but this is a great day. In fact, I want to say this to you. You chose to be in church on Father's Day or to watch online because God wants you to hear this. Now you say, well, man, you're kind of intense on this. What is going on with you? Well, what's going on with me is I'm deeply burdened about the condition of our world. And I'm deeply burdened about the condition of the church. But as I think about it and as I pray about it and as I press into it, when I think about Jesus' prayer, the Lord's prayer, when he prays that the will of the Father will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it tells me that we are supposed to live in this destructive, crazy, distorted, deceived world, we are supposed to live like the presence of God so that heaven comes to earth wherever we are. I, I need you to hear a couple things today. Hills Church and you personally or for somebody in your family, I want you to know this, that the Father broke the bondage of shame. He broke the bondage of shame by embracing his wayward son. Now, please don't mess up and go like, oh, well, that's cool. You can just do whatever you want. No, no, no. The Bible is so, so clear on what it means to love God and follow God and do right. But when we mess up, he is waiting for us to turn and to turn towards home. And when we turn towards home, he runs to greet us. That is good news. So I want to say this. Somebody in this room needs to hear this. If you're living under condemnation, if you're at the place in your life where he says, look, man, this is the trajectory of my life. I used to be a son or daughter. Now I'm this. My life is this. The best I can hope for is a little incremental marginal growth from this. If you're living under condemnation, I want you to hear this. That is not from the God of heaven. Condemnation is not from the one who made you and loved you. Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Let me give you another verse. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Talking about God. Forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God shower his love upon you so that you would turn from the ways that are destructive and turn back towards home. Kindness is the bridge that many people walk over that leads them to repentance. This has been burning in my heart for the last few months at least as I've been thinking about the redemptive heart of God. So when Jonathan called and said, hey, uh, John, would you uh, be able to speak on Father's Day? I said, yes! Because I had this message in me that I wanted to share and I particularly wanted to share it with Hills Church and you'll see why. I'm going to give you a couple other major sections. Galatians chapter 4. It's a passage you've probably never heard about compared to the prodigal son, but I think it's important for you to hear it. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons, 
Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Many of you know the word Abba is like Daddy. It's the most intimate way that you could connect with a parent. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. God is a redeeming God. It's his great desire to give you peace and joy in your life. In fact, that's how God describes relationship with him. Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. God wants you to exchange the pig pens of life for righteousness, peace, and joy. And by the way, while chaos is surrounding us, he wants us to live with righteousness, peace, and joy. One last story. Some of you remember the story of Zacchaeus. You know, if you grew up in church like I did, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Let me tell you about him. He uh, was a Jewish guy who made his living collecting taxes for the Roman government. So he made big bucks off the backs of his fellow Jewish people. I gotta tell you this, he was, he was not in good stead in the Jewish community. They hated him. He was despised. And one day while Jesus was doing his life, he sees Zacchaeus who because he was a small little guy had climbed up in the tree and he looked at Zacchaeus and said, dude, I want to come to your place for dinner. Or if you're really cool, hey man, I'm going to come to your crib and we're going to hang out and have some, some chew. Okay, so something like that. But he, he goes to Zacchaeus' house. And when he goes to Zacchaeus' house, guess what happens? Zacchaeus is so impressed with the goodness and kindness and love of Jesus that he literally says, Jesus, I'm going to take my whole life and I'm going to make it right. I'm going to give back any of the money that I've stolen and I'm going to take the rest of my life and I'm going to give it to the poor. And this is what Jesus says to Zacchaeus in Luke 19, verses 9 and 10. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Can I tell you why I come to Hills Church? I do not come here because it's convenient. I don't live geographically close to here, so I drive 30 or 40 minutes uh, in the morning to come here to speak to you on a weekend. I don't do it because it's convenient. I come to Hills Church because what I know that is at the core of the core of this church, it was here when you got started, and it's been here ever since I've known of this church, this church cares about reaching people whose hearts are far from God. You care about seeing families restored, about people who are broken and battered and shattered to be remade and to be loved by God and loved by you. I'm going to tell you this. You know why you did this, what is called Camp X? You know why you did this thing this last week for 1,700 kids to be in this property? Let me tell you why you didn't do it. You didn't do it because it was convenient. In fact, it wasn't convenient. It was costly. A lot of you spent tons of your time last week pouring into these kids. Why did you do that? You didn't do it because it was convenient. You did it because it was costly, because you were willing to risk for the sake of the 10 to 20% of the kids in this past week who would make a life-changing decision for Jesus. That is why this church exists. And it's why Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. It's the core of the core, folks. But I have to tell you this, the reason why this is on me is not because that's the end of the story, because there's one more thing you need to read. In this same exact chapter, where Jesus sees Zacchaeus come to know him, we read these verses, Luke 19, verse 41. 
as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. I don't know what your patterns are. Maybe you go from the east here and you drive to the west. And if, as you've done that along 50, you've caught a glimpse of the city. Maybe your pattern is such that you've, you've come from the west to the east and whether it was Rancho or Folsom or El Dorado Hills or, or Shingle Springs or up there further, I don't know exactly where you live, but, but have, when, you, when you see the city, when you see the people on the streets of the city, when you see the brokenness in your neighborhood, when you see your workplace full of messy stuff, and when you get angry when you watch the news, just like I do, and when you get angry when you read your news, just like I do, and when you start thinking about the brokenness and the deception and the destruction in the world around you, how do you respond? And every time I read this verse where it says, Jesus saw the city and he wept over it. It's a check in my spirit because I see stuff in this messed up crazy world and I say, Lord, we are making wrong decisions. Our culture's going to heck in a handbasket. That's H-E double hockey sticks for those of you who play hockey. And so I think about it and I go like, oh God, how, how can we live in a society like this? Decisions like that. And I'm, I'm horrified and folks, I get as upset and angry as anybody maybe more, but I keep reminding myself that God is a redeeming God. I will make a very controversial statement, but then, you know, I'm not going to be here the next few weeks, so Jonathan or Dave can fix it. <laughs> I think until the last moment that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, that his heart was longing for them to turn. It's always shocked me, always, that the father didn't go run and get that kid out of the pig pen. That's my struggle as a parent a lot of times. I look at my children, sometimes they make decisions, and I go like, oh, I, don't, I think that's going to go bad. And I always want to get in there and go like, I can fix this. If I could just talk to the men for just a moment, I know we're not into that these days, but could I just talk to the men? Like something inside of men wants to fix stuff. And men, have we not gotten in trouble before trying to fix stuff? particularly if it was somebody female across from us. Like, you don't need to be fixed. Just listen and be quiet. But anyway, that was a little free marriage advice. So the reality is, the reality is, is that we want to fix stuff. It's always amazed me that the father did not go run and rescue the kid. That is against every fiber of my being. On the other hand, the second that kid started towards home, the father was watching every moment, and as soon as he saw that kid far off, he ran to him because it was never in his heart to condemn his kid. It was always in his heart to redeem the child. God is a redeeming God, and I, I can't prove this, but I believe at Sodom and Gomorrah that until the last moment, God longed for them to turn from their wickedness. All right, I'm going to close. Now, some of you get confused to this day. When a pastor says they're going to close, you start putting your Bible up and you think it's 60 seconds. <laughs> Folks, let me help you. That is not the truth. When a pastor says they're going to close, it's three to five minutes, and it only works if they land the plane right. If they don't land the plane right, they'll take it right back up, and they'll go to a second close. All pastors have two closes in their heart. So just be prepared. If you're watching online, do not go putting your latte in right now. Stay focused here. 
Two things in closing I want you to hear. Number one, the redemptive love of God is to bring healing and whole-making grace to people. In the Bible, the word for salvation is saved, healed, and delivered. I've learned a lot about this from my wife. My wife has a ministry where she helps that happen for people to just to, to, to be healed and to be restored in their relationship with God. Saved, healed, delivered. It is the heart of God. And so if you today or somebody you know is in one of the pig pens of life and you got pig slip, slop all over you, either metaphorically or re- realistically, if you got the pig pens of life all over you, I want you to hear this. It is the heart of the one who made you and loves you to see you redeemed and restored back to fullness of hope and joy. Here's the second thing. When you see the pain and destruction and evil in our world, when you see people disobedient and going against the laws of God and you know what the consequences of that are, and you see our culture and individuals heading headlong into the pig pen of life, Do you have a pharisaical, mean-spirited, muttering heartbeat? Or do you see the city and weep over it? Do you see your country and weep over it? Do you say, God in heaven, this church, my family, our community, we will contend for righteousness and we will do so in a way that reflects your redemptive heart because we care about people in our neighborhood. We care about people in our town, in our country, and in the world in which we live. God is a redeemer, and he longs for his people to have a redemptive heartbeat. Would you close your eyes and pray with me? Oh God, Spirit of the living God, somebody needs to hear this today. Somebody who's made some choices and is kind of feeling the pig slop of life sloshing around their world. Somebody needs to say, I am that prodigal. I am far from where I'm supposed to be as a son or daughter of the king. Oh God, would you touch them right now with an awareness of your love? Would you give them the grace and kindness that comes? Jesus, I pray that today would be the day where they say, Lord, if you can save me from this pig pen, if you can save me from this destructive pathway, I just confess all my stuff to you, Jesus, and ask for you to forgive me and heal me and restore me. And Lord, if that's somebody in our family, if that's a a spouse or a son or daughter, brother, sister, grandma, grandpa, whoever, Somebody in our neighborhood, I pray, Jesus, that we'd be available to help those people take steps towards you. And then, God, I want to thank you for this church. I want to continue to pray blessing and favor upon this church. I declare again and again and again over this church that we will have a burden, that we will have a heart of redemption, that we will be like the Father who longs to see people come towards home. And when they're heading towards home, we are running out to greet them. Lord, I pray that over this church. I pray that for your body, the body of Christ, that we'd have that heart towards the world that we live in. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. When you came in today, you should have received the communion elements. 
If you were not able to receive them, we have them available in the lobby afterwards, but I just want to explain them briefly. When you take the bread, the bread symbolizes the body of Jesus Christ, which was given for you. When you take the cup, it symbolizes his shed blood. And when we take the elements, these are not simply elements. What they do is they tie us to history. Since the days of the early church, when Jesus himself was with his disciples and he gave them the bread and the cup, he did so to symbolize that his death was the greatest redemptive act in all of human history. He would take what was broken and destroyed and he would make it whole and complete again. So I pray for you. In the next few moments, we're going to have a moment of silence. If you take the elements, first the bread symbolizing his body and then the cup symbolizing his shed blood that you will receive again the love of Christ. Now the Bible says this, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you haven't even just now made that decision, the Bible says not to take the communion elements. Just spend these moments pondering and reflecting. But no matter whether you're just absolutely doing it like crazy or you're, you're far away, but you love Jesus and you've accepted his sacrifice, then I invite you to take the communion elements and do so in a way that recognizes his love for you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.